welcome to A Seat For You podcast, a podcast holding space for conversations around current and historical events, tricky topics, church, and personal stories. Our goal is to create community with you and with those who don't have a seat at the table and hopes to take a step towards a future where everyone's voice is heard. So come to the table and let's talk. We already have a seat for you. Hey there, it's Leslie. And if you listened to episode two, you know that today April puts me on the stand so that I can fill you in on who I am, where I'm from, and how I'm built. Thanks for listening. <laughs> the tables have turned and I get to be the one asking the questions. So, Leslie, first question, where did you grow up and how would you describe your family? Hmm. Well, I too was born in Tampa and I too grew up in a rural area uh, that I just called the country. I know you <laughs> named it Dover. It was really more like the Notasassa, Plant City area. Notasassa. Yeah. Um, but really I was funny when the GPS tries to say it. Yeah. It doesn't do a good job. Oh, no, Tosasa. So I was an only child. Uh, parents divorced when I was five years old. I stayed with my mom after that divorce. And my dad got remarried and his new wife and kids, they weren't necessarily super fond of me. So I, I wasn't really around that. And my dad moved on with his life. But his parents stepped in for him. Uh, they helped my mom with child support. I stayed at their house a lot during the week. My grandmother was a school teacher, so they enrolled me in the same elementary school that she taught at so that they could help get me to school and get me home. You know, so we also traveled a lot. She worked at, my mom worked overnights when I was in elementary school. So I would stay over at their house and, and all of that. So it was, it was definitely a good relationship with them. I've, I feel like I had a really strong family, though, on both sides. Lots of great aunts and uncles. Both sets of grandparents were around for a while. All very supportive and loving. But I, I definitely recognize that, you know, I had privilege growing up because a lot of people don't have all that family support around them, especially kids, you know, from divorced homes. You know, they, they may only have their parent or a neighbor that helps take care of things. So I had a lot a lot of people around me that provided uh, love. One cool thing was I got to travel a lot with my grandparents on my dad's side. Definitely benefited from having one side of the family that was kind of well off and one side of the family that was more working class. But I also saw how that made me spoiled as a kid. Um, you know, I definitely came from that privilege and I thought that I was better than others because when you're in certain environments, you really soak in the treatment that you're getting and you don't even know it. It's like the fish in water. I mean, I was at tables with governors of island nations and CEOs, CEOs of like large corporations at a very early age. But these people to me were just like Uncle Herb, you know, <laughs> Uncle Herb, <laughs> Herb. Yeah, he founded Checkers. Oh, is that all? Yeah. But, uh, you know, most of the time I would always find my way to wherever the house staff was at. If it was a big party. The they, house staff. Yeah. In these like big mansions. I have questions. They, uh, there would be staff and, you know, at these big fancy parties, you know, there would be bartenders, there'd be waitresses, there'd be kitchen staff, there'd be greeters or whatever at the front door. But I, as a kid, I, I was probably... 
you know, this is probably 10 to 12, mm-hmm. 10 to 13. I would, I would always find my way to hang out with the staff. So that's where I was that's the cool. most comfortable. Yeah. That's cool. So aside from hanging out with the kitchen staff, <laughs> what other activities would you say you were into or interested in or wanted to do as a kid? Well, other than traveling the globe. <laughs> that was pretty fun activity. I got to do that in the summers, but I wasn't really involved in organized activities growing up. I think that was because of the fact that I had to bounce around from house to house. You know, I would, my mom's schedule working overnights, you know, she would drop me off at my grandparents' house at, I don't know, eight o'clock, bathed and in my PJs and ready to go to bed. And then I would sleep there and get up that morning, go to school, come back there and then, you know, play with my friends over there in that neighborhood for uh, maybe an hour until my mom came and picked me up after she had slept in the morning. And then I'd go home with her and she'd cook dinner and make sure my homework was done and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd take a bath and get in my pajamas and go back to my grandparents' house. So it was that back and forth kind of thing. So there really wasn't any time for organized activities or anything like that. So, and also there weren't many options for girls sports at that point in time either. Nothing like there is today. Didn't you ride horses? Yeah, I guess I I did that for a short period of time. That was something that my grandparents really wanted to do. You know, obviously the well-off grandparents. Right. uh, Horse jumping was kind of a yeah, that's more a prestigious sport. Prestige, yeah. Uh, so they thought... I did not know any horse jumpers when I was growing up. Right. They thought a little chubby kid would be good oh. in tight pants on a horse. <laughs> but I gave it a shot. It didn't It didn't last very didn't long. Take. No. I loved football and I loved soccer, um, but there were definitely no girls playing football. There wasn't flag football. There wasn't any of those kinds of things back then. Um, and I... I don't know if there was any girls soccer leagues even back then, honestly. So, but when I came home uh, to my grandparents' house after school, I had friends in that neighborhood, Holly and Shirley. They lived down the street. They were sisters and they were really good volleyball players. I mean, they both went to college on scholarships. Like Holly went to university of Georgia. Yeah. She was really good. And so when they would come home from their practice, they would always meet up with me and we would play more volleyball in the street. We'd always like have these games with imaginary nets. And um, I really enjoyed that. That was probably the closest I got to any kind of legit organized activity. And I enjoyed doing that with them. So with all of your culture that you have behind you, what is it that you do now? And what's your favorite thing about what you do now? Well, I think of myself uh, in the business of helping organizations create an environment to thrive. I don't really like to say that I'm in any specific kind of industry, but I I just love helping. I love helping people grow into new skill sets that they may not have had before, you know, growing people, you know, seeing people that maybe come into organizations in an entry level position and then become managers of that same organization that I really enjoy. And I also 
love working with teams to come up with solutions to opportunities that they may have. So I'm really more in that growth mindset space. I love challenges in that kind of role, going into organizations that might struggle with change and figuring out how I can help them um, you know, be a change maker in that space. So all of those things right now are focused around uh, content, similar to, you know, you're you and I work together in, in, in some ways, or I guess not some ways, some, sometimes during the week we work together on projects and, and we focus on audience. Uh, we focus on strategic initiatives. So I do that really in both the private and nonprofit sectors. So I heard you say that you like to help organizations identify where change is needed and all of that. What would you say your biggest challenge there is? Probably dealing with, you know, different generations. I think, what do we have? Five different generations in the workforce right now. Mm -hmm. And they all have different levels of comfort when it comes to everything from learning new things to technology to, you know, getting their cell phone to work. I mean, it, lots of, lots of different things. And so, um, you've got some people that are, you know, probably coming to the end of their careers and it's, you know, they're, they know that over the next year or two, they're going to be phasing out to retirement. You've got people that, are kind of in the middle there and they've they've grown up with technology and they're comfortable with it but they know they're moving into the the time where they only have x number of years left and what are they going to decide to do you've got these young you know gen z and millennials out there that are taking over and are dominating the workspace but they haven't been raised either in the same kind of way that you know the older generations have they they may have Different they, they value different skills. things in within the work ethic. Yeah, and they they just don't communicate the same way. And but there's that's not saying that they communicate badly. It's they just it's different. So right. you have to. I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of all of that, and so it's it's challenging to continually navigate going back and forth and making sure that the communication is happening effectively in that every different type of generation is receiving it in the same way. You're a great bridge for that. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're a great bridge for that. I'm a bridge. (laughs) You are That's my job. Yeah. That's my new title. So what would you say the biggest lesson you've learned in the last two years would be? Mm, In the past two years, it would have to be focusing on the things that I can control. Uh, And it's, it's something I still have to work on every day. As I'm getting older, I realize that maybe things that I thought deserve my energy really don't, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So I definitely have to protect my peace as I, as I get older. So I would say specifically over the last, last two years through the pandemic and and such, that would be maintaining my peace or controlling, trying to protect my peace would be the biggest lesson that I've learned. Yeah. And so what does that look like? What does protecting your peace look like Um, in a tangible way? You know, it 
it really comes down to boundaries, honestly. And I know that's kind of cliche because that's kind of a buzzword that goes around these days. But, you know, you have to, when you look at the things that you can control, you can't control actions of others. You can only control how you react to those things, right? Right. So um, setting boundaries of who, who you allow to plug into you because we only have so much energy and everyone else is is either providing energy or taking energy. And so you have to, you have to know the balance of how many of those people of each that you can have in your life. Right. What would you say your biggest lessons would be in the last decade? Well, that's, you know, a lot's definitely happened in the last 10 years. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, we went through a global pandemic so I can't was, believe that was three years ago. Yeah, that was fun. Good times. So much personally has happened in my life, professionally. You know, my my professional life has has changed. I I bought, you know, my business, geez, six years ago now. So but I would say when when it feels like things are pulling you backwards, or maybe you just don't think that they're working out the exact way you want them to work out in that moment. If you could just close your eyes and visualize a bow and arrow and that arrow is being pulled back, it has to be pulled back to get to where it is going. Right. And it's taken me many, many years of steps back and launching forward uh, to see that I always seem to end up right where I'm supposed to be. So I think that's been a huge lesson for me is to try not to put so much weight in something that is deemed bad, you know, because it really may not be bad. It may be exactly what you need to have happen to get you to better. Right. That's a good point. So with all of this wisdom that you've acquired over the last decade and all that you've been through, if you could go back to one moment in time in your middle school life to little 12 or 13 year old Leslie wearing overalls or whatever it was you like to wear, what would you say? What kind of advice would you give her? Um, as I mentioned in your interview, I still think it's weird to pop up my old self into the middle school because I would just freak myself out and thinking about what I was wearing. I think that was the day of stirrup pants and did you wear stirrups outback red shirts with all the buttons down the front and you would wear multiple shirts and I, roll them. So that I do they not recall this trend. Yeah. Cause I'm older than you, but, um, and scrunchies. Yeah, and the in the socks that scrunched down around the stirrup pants. Oh with, yeah, they were made to bubble. Yeah, with keds, yeah. with keds, yeah. white keds. I do remember that. Yeah, this was during that time. Overalls so, was with the one with one with strap. the one side down. Yeah, that was more like ninth grade for me. So I had a weird middle school timeline. Um, my elementary school went until sixth grade. Okay. Then you went to a seventh grade center, so it was only seventh grade. Yeah, and then. I had to go to a school that, well, that seventh grade center 
was outside of the school area that I went to elementary school. So no one that I went to elementary school transitioned over to the seventh grade center because I was special district to go to the school my grandmother taught at. And so when it went back to time for me to go to seventh grade center, it was my mom's address, different neighborhood. So you didn't know anybody. Didn't know anybody. So starting press at a seventh grade center. Then I had to go to a school that that was supposed to be eighth and ninth grade. That was junior high in, right. in Hillsborough County at the time. And I don't think any of my friends from the seventh grade center mm-hmm. went to that school either. So I had to start eighth grade, basically fresh start again. Yeah. Brand new. That's hard. Yeah. And then my mom got remarried and moved us to a whole nother county where they start high school at ninth grade. Right. So for three years in a row, I started a school that I knew no one at. And I didn't realize that until I was thinking about how to answer this question. Yeah. So that was probably a pretty traumatic time for me. Right. But it probably taught you some skills. Yeah. I guess. So thinking about that now, I never really fit in, you know, as a kid. I wasn't a popular kid. I wasn't at that point in time in middle school. Like I wasn't an athlete. I didn't have a a club. You know, I didn't have a clique to kind of fit in. So, you know, I'm sure that was because I didn't, I mean, I knew who I was at that age and I didn't really see anybody else around me that I felt identified the same as me and so, or that would have acceptance around me as a kid. So it taught me to have a really tough exterior and I didn't let people get close to me until probably my 10th grade year when I started playing sports uh, in high school because I developed, you know, really close bonds with my teammates because that was the first time I felt like someone else may be like me. Uh, it was more genuine relationships at that point in time. So I guess my advice to my middle school self would be to just have fun and just do what you want to do. Uh, be yourself, dress how you want. But really, I mean, who am I kidding? Like I would have gotten laughed out of the room if I was trying to tell my little self to just be, have fun. Like that's just stupid, right? Because I wouldn't listen to myself. Right. So I I guess then I would just say hunker down and carry on because things are going to turn out just fine. Yeah. Kind of the same as mine. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. It's going to get better. Well, that's good advice that we are both going to give ourselves. These days, what is it that you enjoy doing in your free time, like on your days off? You work a lot, but when you aren't working, because you also enjoy working, when you're not doing that... If your laptop is not in front of you and you have no access to it, what do you love to do the most? I think that really depends on my mood because you're right. I don't really look at my work as work. I'm one of those people because I do enjoy what I do. But I really enjoy deeper conversations, which I think is one reason that sparked this podcast for us. Surface level stuff gets really old for me. Uh, So when we go to a park or the beach and get out in nature with one of our books, sometimes we read the same book and we talk about it as we read it Um, and snacks and just always snacks. And yeah, we love snacks and just read and talk. That's a really enjoyable day. 
But if it's like a rainy day off and or I'm not in a talkative mood, I would love to just have a house full of snacks and bevies <laughs> and plush blankets and a couch and a big TV and lots of shows, maybe little naps with my person. Emphasis on the big TV because you really like large screens. I mean, I'm older, so I have to wear readers, so the big screen helps. Right. But that that would be a pretty darn good it's day, good in my day. opinion. I agree. With that said, what do you wish to get from this podcast? What is What does beginning all of this mean for you? I want this to accomplish a few things. Really two things. The first one would be relatability. I know it does wonders for me to listen or watch something and be able to see myself in it. You know, like I mentioned in, in middle school, in elementary school, I didn't really see representation. So now in this part of my life, listening or watching something else that I can put myself in to that role is helpful for me. So if this just provides even one person with that, then I would count that as as a win for us. And the second thing is is probably the dialogue. Uh, I hope we are able, you know, to talk to people in this podcast that have a variety of opinions. I hope we can have uh, those conversations in a constructive and healthy way. That's really hard sometimes, uh, especially with how divided we are as a country. You know, these days, if if you if you aren't with me, you're against me kind of mentality. So maybe it will help others have similar conversations or in some small way uh, see that at our core we're we're all just the same and there you have it if you've listened to both interviews we hope you got a glimpse of who we are we look forward to learning and growing with you as we go thanks for sitting down with us A Seat for You podcast is produced by us, edited by us, funded by us, and sponsored by A Media Marketing. Yes, insert this shameless plug here. If you need help with your websites, podcasts, or helping your endeavor grow, check us out at amediamarketing.com. Details are in our show notes. You can leave feedback, only if it's good, at our website, A Seat for you.com. That's a seat, the number four and the letter u.com. You can check out all of our past episodes there and find out how to follow us on the socials. Bye for now.